Good morning. We are grateful for your presence this morning. As has already been said, we are thankful for the good crowd. Our numbers continue to sort of trend up as we are hoping even maybe that cases of the coronavirus and things continue to go down. Uh, but we are thankful that you are here and we're thankful for our good number today and the opportunity to worship together. Uh, we'd invite you back this evening as we worship again. If you have a copy of the bulletin in front of you and maybe a copy of the outlines, uh, that for today, you'll notice that we're going to be looking at our Book of the Month Club, as we call it, but looking specifically at the Book of Ecclesiastes tonight and what we can learn from that. But we're grateful for the beautiful weather, uh, the beautiful day, and we're thankful for the opportunity to be here. We do have visitors in our midst. We're grateful that you have come our way. Uh, I do not necessarily feel the need to defend my wife, uh, but since she got called out there at the beginning of the service, she just wants you to know that she doesn't know which time is Central and which time is Eastern. So... Uh, my dear father-in-law, who, who many of you know and love, uh, refers to the time that is an hour behind this as Christian time, and this is heathen time. So uh, I don't know if that's better or worse, but, uh, but certainly the Dunlap meeting starts at 7 o'clock. Uh, some of it's slow time, and this is fast time, uh, but either way, they are an hour behind. And so it's a little late over here, but Brian Kenyon, who is the director of the Florida School of Preaching, will be there through Wednesday night, and, and they look forward to that. And if you have an opportunity, you can be encouraged by, by going there. Our lesson today, at least at the beginning of the lesson, uh, some of this may be something that doesn't uh, apply to some of you, maybe you've never heard of before. Uh, it's funny as a preacher trying to know things to talk about, uh, things to, to share, things that are relevant, uh, sometimes there are things that don't necessarily always bridge the gap between ages. See, many of you remember a time when there was maybe no phones really in the house or one phone in the house. Not to mention the fact that now almost everyone has a phone in the house and it is typically uh, in their hand most of the time. And so when we think about things that are relevant, things that are cultural, there are things today that some of you may not quite understand. And we're going to begin this morning with talking about something to begin to set the stage for what, of course, is the main thrust, the biblical thrust of the lesson. And it may not uh, mean much to some of you, but I thought it'd be good to kind of clarify just a little bit as we begin here. You know, the internet is a, a good thing, and of course, sometimes the internet is a bad thing. There's things that help us with the internet. There are things that hurt us or harm us sometimes when it comes to the internet. One of the things that, that many of us appreciate from time to time is the idea of what's called a, a meme. Some of you know that. You may be familiar with that phrase. Some of you are not. If you've never had a, a cell phone that accesses the internet like many of them do, a smartphone or, or had a computer or the internet at home, but it's simply uh, an internet thing. It's an idea. A lot of times it has to do with a picture uh, or things like that. Maybe it's videos that sort of spread. You know, we've taken that term viral, which is kind of interesting that over the last couple of years, as we've talked about a new virus, we've used that phrase viral to mean something that, that spreads fast, that goes around specifically, well, really even almost the world as you think about it. And so a meme is often a, a picture that may be uh, changed in some way, may have words over the top of picture, but, but it's usually meant to be humorous. And now the one thing I want to do, because I'm going to share a couple with you as we begin and, and set the stage for our lesson, uh, but the, the one thing that I would always caution you with is, is you have to be careful. And some of you have been guilty of this, and, and I probably have as well, but, but you go to share something on Facebook or social media, and, and you have to be careful that it's not full of maybe inappropriate words or, or maybe even the movie that it's originally from is some kind of inappropriate movie that maybe Christians shouldn't be viewing, or, or even some of us have been guilty of the original person that posted it. Yeah, I mean, you know, the picture and the words on it are funny. Uh, we got several of our ladies here today that most of us agree are constantly making us laugh by sharing jokes and things on, on Facebook. But, but sometimes you go back and you see who that, 
who originated that idea or that picture, and maybe their name has curse words in it or something. So you got to be careful a lot of times when you talk about this idea of memes or, or photographs on thing, or things on Facebook. But there's one I've seen a lot that's kind of stuck with me. If the research is correct, it began about a couple of years ago, maybe in 2019. One person first started this particular meme, and it's just carried over over the last few years, and people are kind of always changing it and adding to it. And it goes something like the title of our lesson that you have in front of you there. It says, I'm going to tell my kids, and then it goes with a picture or something like that. Now, most of the time, these are a picture of someone that you know or something that you know, but when you say you're going to tell your kids that this particular picture is something, it's something different. Maybe the person in the picture looks similar. Maybe it's something, and again, it's usually humorous. And so to kind of explain that, I brought a few to share with you. I'm going to tell my grandchildren that this is Steve Jobs. Now, if you know Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs always had the black turtleneck, right, at all of his speeches. And so the kids who may not even know who Steve Jobs is, and you see, that's the other funny thing about this particular meme is a lot of times it gets to things that we know as older people and adults, but when we go to tell our kids a name or a baseball player or a movie and they go, what, I've never heard of that before, you go, oh, that means I'm getting old. Well, you know, Steve Jobs, of course, has not been around for a few years now. So some people say, well, I'm going to tell my kids, well, that's Steve Jobs because of the black turtleneck. But of course, it's not Steve Jobs. I'm going to tell my kids that this was Photoshop. Now, many of you had a computer that had paint on it, right? And paint was the original Photoshop. And you could go on there and you could draw and you could make letters, but it was very limited where now you can take photos on the internet and make it look like anything. I mean, you can put people in there in fact, our own kids, we, had, uh, our, we just concluded our soccer season, season yesterday morning, and our kids had their pictures made for soccer. But what the lady did was she took them one at a time, and then to put the team together, she just photoshopped them all in the same photo. And it turned out great, but we didn't have to all be together in order to have a team photo. But I'm going to tell my kids this was Photoshop, and it's not even close, of course, to what computers can do today. I'm going to tell my kids that this was Elon Musk. Now, some of you know Elon Musk, and of course, that's not Elon Musk. That is uh, the fictional character of Iron Man and an actor who's playing that. But, you know, Elon Musk is known as someone who is futuristic, so to speak, you know, doing things that are new and seem exciting, sci-fi, if you will. But, but that's not Elon Musk. But we might could convince our kids of that one day. I'm going to tell my kids that this was Steve Harvey, right? I like that one. That's not Steve Harvey, but... It kind of looks like Steve Harvey, right? I've got nothing against Steve Harvey in some way or anything. Don't know Steve Harvey, but yeah, the mustache, it looks like him. And you might could convince your kids this was something that was called Steve Harvey. And I think that's kind of funny. But maybe this one. I'm going to tell my kids that this was Neil Armstrong. Right? They might believe that. Now, most of them may not because they know who Buzz Lightyear is. But we know that's not Neil Armstrong. But you get the idea that there are sometimes funny things, and we can tell our kids any number of things. In fact, as we think about it this morning, the Bible's very clear about that. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verses 4 through 9, we begin in verses 4 and 5 with what's often called the Shema or the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That is what the, the Jews would repeat, and it became to, to be known as the Shema or the Shema. But then down further than that, in Deuteronomy 6 there, we see this idea that you shall teach these things to your children. The New King James is on the screen, but I, I love the idea of diligently, diligently teach your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up constantly. You know, real quick, I want to interject. I didn't get it into the slides, but there are at least four ways that we can teach our children. Number one, of course, there is formal teaching. We ask you to bring your children to Bible class. 
vacation Bible school, Bible camp. All of these things are formal teaching ways in which they can learn the Bible. And they, they learn that way. Number two, we go by informal uh, conversation sometimes. Informal conversation. Do you talk about these things? Do you talk about the Lord as you are going about your life? As you lie down, as you rise up, as you're going, as you're sitting. We can teach our children by informal conversation, by making our conversation about God as much as is possible. Number three, we can teach them by exact scripture. I mean, that's what we do here in the sermon very often. You have an opportunity to open your Bible with your family and with your children and to talk about these things and to look at these scriptures. And even number four, and the one we kind of want to think about this morning, maybe more than anything, personal example. Personal example. You see, if we're not careful, some of you are going to say, I don't have kids, or my kids are long gone, they're grown and out of the house, so it doesn't, this doesn't apply to me. But you've got grandchildren, possibly. You may still have children who, though they are older in life, still need to look at you and learn things from you. And if nothing else, almost all of you here, besides our visitors, maybe you get a bit of a pass, you're influencing my kids. You have an opportunity to encourage them. Yes, some of this is going to speak directly to parents and the way that we should do things, but we all have interaction with our children. I'm going to tell my kids a few things. What are you going to teach your kids or your grandchildren, or those young people that you come in contact with. Proverbs chapter 22 in verse number 6. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he shall not depart from it. You know, we talked about Proverbs uh, a month or two ago as our Book of the Month Club, and we made the point that, that in particular this one, uh, among many others, are, is, is hurtful to us because Proverbs are not promises. right? Proverbs are not simply true just because God said it, and it's 100% without a doubt right. You see, if we train up our children in the way that they should go, there's a really good chance they won't depart from it. But God doesn't make it some kind of miraculous thing. Well, just because we do right on Sundays or just because we do right for for 10% of their life that they're automatically going to be faithful. It's not a promise, per se, but it is an encouragement for us. It's not things that are absolutely going to come true. But if we will train up our children in the way that they should go when they're old, hopefully they will not depart from it. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4. And you fathers in particular but in you parents grandparents those who interact with children do not provoke your children to wrath but bring them up in the nurture or the training and the admonition of the lord that is our encouragement you see that meme is a joke it's funny a lot of times i see those that come across my feed sometimes and i always laugh because i think you know my kids may not know who steve jobs is exactly or they may not remember some particular actor and there's a lot of them out there and again i'd caution you not all of them are appropriate for us to be looking at as christians but what are we going to tell our kids because the point behind the meme is true we can take one thing and tell our kids something different that's what happens and that is absolutely what the world is going to do if we're not careful It will do that, especially if we do not take the opportunity to train them. I'm going to tell my kids lots of things, but I want to share six with you this morning. Number one, I'm going to tell my kids that there is a God in heaven who made the world and everything in it. There is a God in heaven who made the world and everything in it. You see, for many of you, especially you adults, a lot of this is going to be like, well, I know that. I've heard that before. I believe that. But the question then is, are we practicing that? Or are we teaching that to younger generations? See, this goes even so far as we certainly think about our world today into our schools and into the things that our children are learning. If you do not teach them 
about the God in heaven who made everything. They're going to believe it came from somewhere. And there's a lot of different ideas out there. And what we do is we sit here and we say, well, you know what? That's crazy. I mean, who would believe some of these so-called scientific ideas? But people do. And they pass it down to their children. We know Genesis chapter 1, verse, verse 1 and verse 31, that in the beginning, God. There's so much that is packed into that first chapter as we think about God creating the world. And indeed, it was very good. The quotation that's kind of in the first point there, of course, is Acts chapter 17. As Paul is there at Mars Hill at the Areopagus, and he's preaching to those people. And there's so many false idols, so many idols around them. People are worshiping. Paul takes the opportunity to preach the one true God of heaven. And he makes several statements, including this one, that God who made the world and everything in it, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. It's encouraging to know that we serve a God. Otherwise, how do we get here? What are we doing? What's right? What's wrong? How can we know that? Unless we begin with this first fundamental principle by teaching our children that yes, there is a God in heaven, and yes, he created the world for you and for me. I mean, even bleeding over into what has been in the news the last couple of weeks with the idea of the global summit and global warming and all these things, these are discussions. These are discussions that are not wrong to have. We need to have them in the context, of course, though, of the God of heaven. I'm going to tell my kids about that God of heaven. I think you agree, but are we doing our best to remind them that there is a God, that he made everything, and that affects everything we do in this life. Number two. I'm going to tell my kids that the Bible is the standard. That's not a typo. That's meant to be all capitalized, of course, because the Bible is the standard. You see, once again, turn on the news, open up Facebook, whatever it might be, and you will see that there are many people trying to make many different standards. Who makes the standard? Is it those who make the textbooks? Is it those who teach? And teach the textbooks? Is it those who sit in Congress or the one who sits in the White House? Who is it that makes the standard and tells us what is right and wrong? Yes, we are to obey our government. That's kind of another lesson for another time. We need to consider those things and what the Bible says about that. But the Bible is the standard. The Word of God is how we can live. And it gives us the peace of mind to know that we can live the same way. We have preached about the idea of unity over the last few weeks. Even as we talked about our elders and the idea that they can guide us in unity, but in unity through the word of God. Not what the elders at Saudi think, not what the preacher thinks, but in the word of God. You see, that makes a lot of things really easy. Now, I'll, I'll admit, I'll give you, it makes a lot of things uncomfortable. Because we've got to tell people maybe when they're doing something that is against the word of God. Or we might need to be told when we're doing something against the word of God. But it makes it very easy because we know what's right and wrong. And it's not just what the preacher says or the elders say. But it's what God has said. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse number 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. But do you know that almost every love song that you've ever heard. Every rom-com or movie that you think about dealing with relationships or how we live, everybody just says we should just trust our heart, trust your gut, just go with what you think or what you feel. Who can know it? It's a great question, even as we think about the Bible. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, that as his divine power, God's divine power, 
through his power, he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I know we repeat that sometimes here, especially from the pulpit. I know that's kind of a, a very short phrase, but think about the power behind that. Because it's not my power. It's not the power of the congregation here, but it's God's power that has given to us all things. We come across so many questions in life. And we come across so many situations that we want to know what to do. God has often told us what to do, once again, even though it's very uncomfortable, even though people are going to make fun of us or ridicule us or not want to be around us, his word has told us what to do. The Bible is the standard. And when we believe that and follow that, then a lot of things in life will take care of themselves. We mentioned this Wednesday night. I think Charles mentioned it Wednesday night. He mentioned it in class again this morning. But following after God... Following after his word takes care of a lot of problems. When we get in the depths of despair and sin, we often shake our fists and look up at God, so to speak, and say, why have you done this to me? But we could go back and see maybe where our problems started, and often it's with a decision that we made to say something, do something, go somewhere, whatever it is that God would not have us to do. And it started a mountain of problems for us. Number three, I want to tell my kids who real heroes are. Who real heroes are. You know, our world is full of so-called heroes. Even as I put the picture up there of Iron Man kind of jokingly, I just wanted to look. But did you know that according to at least research not but a couple of months ago, the, the MCU, what's called the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, all those Marvel movies that, that is making a lot of money, the number currently is around $23 billion dollars. And if I read that correctly as I was trying to look it up, that is cinematic. That is movies only. That's not talking the countless figures that I got at my house in the toy bin or the shirts or all of these things that people have. That's movies, $23 billion of these people who are, we are making and our children are very often making as heroes. Look, I love a good movie as much as the next person, and a lot of those things are often harmless, although, once again, we must be careful what we're consuming and the language and things, but, but very often, I mean, there's nothing wrong. I grew up with He-Man. I grew up with other cartoonish or animated characters that might provide something to watch and, and to enjoy. That's true. But who are the real heroes? Well, obviously, we don't have time to go through every single one in the Bible, but here's the thing I thought about. Have you ever considered telling the story of Superman or Iron Man or something and how amazing and large it sounds? But have you ever told the story of Daniel? Have you ever told the story of some of the things that took place with Gideon and told them in such a fashion that they are this not fake story or fictional, but this story or account of what actually took place, of battlefields of people just dying? of the sun standing still, of great heroes of faith who did things. I want to teach my children who real heroes are. Now let me say here, just to interject, and I think you know me, but we often call our public servants and first responders heroes, and there's nothing wrong with that in a sense. We're thankful for their service. I don't want to just beat up on that word. Those people, especially in our world, deserve honor and respect, and there are people who act as heroes in this life. But we also glorify fictional characters. We also glorify athletes. We also glorify Hollywood and actors and actresses. And we hold them up to such a standard, and, and they collect so much money off of us holding them up as standards, that our children get confused who really is a true hero, who really has done something to follow after God, and who is someone who just posts a lot on the Internet 
takes a lot of pictures and makes good movies or whatever it might be. Can shoot, shoot a basketball or throw a baseball. We have to be careful that we are teaching our children who the real heroes are. There are some here in this life, but there are certainly many that we also glorify in such a way that it confuses our children. I want to teach my kids who the real heroes are. I'm going to tell my kids about God's plan for the family, about God's plan for the family. Many of us agree, and I, I hate, well, I try not to harp on it so much, but, but many of us would agree that really a lot of our problems in the world today is based upon the, the destroying of the family. And it happened long ago, and it's still being per, uh, perpetrated today and going on. But, but understanding what God's plan for the family is, that would help a lot of things as well. You see, it really begins, or at least one place we might begin, is 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. Paul would write to those, he would say, But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, we're not going to get into to feminism or, or all these different kinds of movements that are going on today, but, but Paul pretty plainly lays out for us, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that there begins to be this order, this divine order of things, that, that God is above Christ, and, and Christ is above man, and yes, man is above the woman. Now, there are proper ways of handling that. I had to write an article for the Truth publication, and I think it'll be in the December issue, about the husband and wife relationship. So it's been on my mind a lot lately because the picture that is painted there, well, let's say I got it next. I forgot. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Not because he's the boss and you're the slave, not to his every whim or whatever he wants, but you submit to your husband as to the Lord. That's quite a standard there. But husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Not because you may be the boss or the man or because you're the head, but because you act in such a way that meets the way that Christ acted by giving himself sacrificially. Do we act that way as men and as women? Understanding our places and how we work together to serve God and not only that, but to be an example to the world. To those people that we come in contact with of what God's plan for the family is. That's Ephesians 5, but we go forward, of course, to Ephesians 6. We've already mentioned part of this, but children then sometimes become involved, and children are to obey their parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture or the training and admonition of the Lord. God has a plan for the family, and the world has chosen very often to deviate from that. See, it makes for sometimes some uncomfortable conversations when our kids come home from school or from ball practice or from whatever thing they're involved in and they talk about their friends and their parents and all of these things. It happens to Christians as well sometimes when families break up or have issues or problems. But God has a plan for the family and we should be striving to teach what that is to our children. Because that is the way that we follow after him, and that is the way in which we are a light unto the world, or at least one way in which we can do that. Number five, I'm going to tell my kids that we must be different. And as I kind of put in parentheses there, it is okay sometimes to be different. Maybe we should also add in there, I probably could have added a lot of different things to the slide, but, but it's hard. Our word for the morning, it's uncomfortable. It's not easy to be different, but we must be different. We must look different than the world. And that's not just in our dress, although our dress or our clothes may be involved in that. It should be involved in that. We know the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. You, you Christians, those who are following after God, who are baptized with Christ, 
who have been added to the church, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. And and we love this idea because we want to be chosen. We want to be wanted. We want to be special. We want to be different. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. Sometimes we feel like outcasts, we feel unloved, we feel different, we feel less than, and we want to be accepted. We want to be called something. God calls us to that and gives us an opportunity to enjoy that. But what happens is we are different, we are baptized, we want to change our lives, but we end up back in the same situation looking just like everybody else. We talk like everybody else, we dress like everybody else. Where are we we on Sunday or Wednesday Are we with everyone else? Are we different than everyone else on social media? Are we different than everyone else in how we live? We must be different. You know, preachers can lament this sometimes as well, but sometimes the reason we don't have people come and join the church, the reason we don't have people sometimes want to come and become Christians, is because they see no difference. Why would I want to get up early on Sunday morning and have to go to Bible class or to worship? Why would I want to have to change what I'm doing when some of those people I see, they're not acting any different than I act. They're doing the same things I do. And so, yes, it's not the only thing. And it's something that we must all look in ourselves and check ourselves sometimes. But sometimes people don't become Christians because they look at Christians and they don't see anything different. We must be different in so many ways in this life. We could make a very long list, but I would challenge you this morning just to consider the few that we've mentioned here And then finally, of course, maybe most important, I'm going to tell my kids how to get to heaven. You know, we talked last week about the Reformation movement and the Restoration movement and the idea that there are many different ideas out there about what one should do, what a person can do. But I'm going to tell my kids how to get to heaven. And sometimes that's different than what they'll hear from other people. We think about Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12. Nor is there any salvation or salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is Peter and John. Peter and John have been arrested. They're standing before those magistrates and people who are there, those higher ups. And they say, there's no other name. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way to get to heaven. And I want to ask you, we sometimes have taught our children, what is true success. I think we talked about this in the lesson not too long ago as well. What is true success? True success is living your life and going to heaven. True failure is living your life because you're going to live your life regardless, but it's not going to heaven or missing out on heaven. Are we striving for true success? Are we telling our children how to get to heaven? I want to leave you with one more thing from Facebook and ask you a question. How many generations are we away? away from what away from God away from his word how many generations are we away from from totally falling away from there being no more Christians or or no more congregations I don't know you can kind of fill in whatever you want to there I've seen this four or five times over the last couple of years and and I saw it again last week as I was kind of thinking about this lesson and I changed it just a little bit once again you kind of need to be careful sometimes with what you see and what you share I want to share my version of it maybe uh, I saw a Christian who shared this but it's called the, something along the idea of the four-fade generation, four points. Uh, number one, it begins with parents who don't make serving God faithfully a high priority for their kids. Maybe that is someone you know. 
Maybe that was you for a time. Something we have to be on guard against. But the four-fade generation begins with parents who don't make serving God faithfully a high priority for their kids. You see, we could talk about, some people use the word religion. Some people might say, you know, coming to church or things like that. But let's just make it serving God. Parents who don't make serving God a priority in their lives raise kids who then, number two, grow up and make it less of a priority for their kids. Right? We talk about generations. Many of you are involved in several generations. Maybe your parents or grandparents are gone, but your children or grandchildren are around. But, but as parents, if we grow up or raise our kids not making serving God faithfully a priority, then we have kids who make it less of a priority for their kids. Then we go on number three, and those kids grow up and make it no priority for their kids. Right? They say, well, my parents didn't really do it. I mean, they took us once a year, twice a year, certain holidays. My grandparents, I think they did. Well, my grandparents, they may still go to church somewhere, but my parents, you know, they've never really gone. And we just didn't go as kids. So, you know what? I'm just not going to worry about it. And you begin to see then that number four, those kids grow up with no concept of God. Uh, yeah, maybe they hear it some. Maybe their friends mention it from time to time. Maybe they come across a, a preacher on TV who's talking about it. Maybe they hear something or they drive by church buildings. But you know what? They're also going to drive by, probably increasingly in some years, church buildings who have vines growing up around the doors. Church buildings that haven't been open for many, many years for various reasons, but sometimes that happens. How many generations are we away from kids who have no concept at all of the God in heaven who made the world and everything in it. It's a challenge for each one of us. I'm going to tell my kids a lot of things. You know, I try to instill in my kids a love of sports, try to instill in my kids a love of laughter and having a good time. But I really want to instill in my kids some of these things that we've already talked about this morning. And as we conclude this lesson, that begins with us as adults, as parents and as grandparents. And as we are about to sing this song of invitation, we ask you if you have been obedient to God's simple plan of salvation. We put it here on the screen each week so that you might understand exactly what one needs to do to become a child of God, to be saved. You, if you have heard the word, which you have this morning, and are ready to believe the word of God, you can then repent of your sins. Of course, repentance involves a 180-degree turn, changing your mind, which then changes your life. Once you repent of your sins, you can confess Jesus as Lord, even before an audience such as this, and you're ready to be baptized for the remission of your sins. Coming in contact, not with some kind of magical water here, of course, but with the blood of Christ that washes away our sins. It's at that point that the Lord will add you to his church. You're a child of God. You can begin to live a faithful life on the path to heaven above. Maybe you're here and you're a child of God and you became a child of God in times past, but you've wandered away. You've allowed sin to enter your life. You realize that you are not living your life right. So the example that you are setting for children and grandchildren and other young people that you come in contact with is pretty pitiful. You recognize that you need to change. There's no need to be baptized again or time and time again. But you can take part of God's second law of pardon. The ability to confess your sins, repent, and pray. And he is faithful to forgive even this day. You see, that's a very quick run-through of those things, and we try to often say, if you have any questions, if you would like to study the Word of God, we would sit down with you as soon as possible to make this great commitment, because it is. A family is great, children are great, but becoming a child of God is the most important decision you can make. And if you're here this morning and you need to become a child of God, you need to come back to Him, or you need the prayers of the church, we'd love to assist you, even now, as we stand together and as we sing.